This episode is sponsored by the publisher Griffin House. They have a lot of books for early childhood education. Go to their homepage, griffinhouse.com. G-R-Y-P-H-O-N, house.com. Welcome to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. Today I am here on Skype. I'm sitting in the Faroe Islands in the North Atlantic Sea and with me at the other end in Miami is Joel Mellon. Welcome to the interval uh, to the interview with Joel. Thank you. And you are an assistant professor in Miami University. That's correct. And you specialize in educational leadership. Uh, that that's also correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and today, Joel, you have chosen to talk about an article which you are about to publish. Can you? Tell us about the subject of this article. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe uh, before that, I'll just very quickly give a little bit of background about myself um, because I think it feeds into this article. Yeah, please do Um, that. So, um, yeah, entering into my third year here at Miami University, and and before that, I I worked for several years in public schools here in the U.S., um, first as a school psychologist covering... uh, pre-kindergarten through high school, and then secondly, um, getting into some district-level research as a coordinator of research and assessment and a director of human resources. And that's where I really uh, developed an appreciation for um, the complexity of educational leadership. I completed recently in in 2015 my doctorate in uh, educational policy, organization, and leadership at the University of Illinois. And there I had a great chance to work with several um, terrific scholars and leaders, um, and one that I would like to mention here because it, uh, it ends up being my collaborator on the paper that I'll be referring to, and uh, his name is Don Hackman, and he actually hired me to work at his uh, government-funded research and resource center, and we were charged at that center to support Illinois school districts that were implementing uh, STEM programs of study that were basically making pretty large-scale changes to their curricula and programming, particularly at the middle and high school level, to try to help better prepare students for college and career upon their graduation. And uh, so that was a that was a job that uh, I really just dove right into head first. And uh, even though I didn't have um, a great deal of relevant experience going in. Um, And now looking at my research trajectory, looking at this particular um, article that I'll be talking to you about today, um, this this was a really pivotal job for me. So, um, and then the article that I've chosen to to discuss is is, uh, on the verge of being published with the Journal of Educational Administration right now, and it's entitled Urban Principles Promotion of College and Career Readiness, and it derives uh, from my work with Don back at that center from around 2013 on to the present day, we've been continuing on this line of work. 
And so, um, so first off, just, just by way of background, the, the economic climate here in the U.S. has changed significantly. Uh, in the past, at least for some, some people, a high school diploma was a fairly reliable passport to, to middle-class jobs, uh, to opportunities where you could earn living wages and support a small family um, with, a, uh, with a high school diploma. Mm. Now, however, uh, increasingly some college university or some form of specialized training close high school is invariably required to be able to access those types of jobs. And so as a result, uh, and this is particularly in, uh, impacting high schools, as a result, the, the focus has shifted in terms of you know, helping students to get to that graduation day uh, to really thinking more concertedly about what can we do to help students find a career path that's going to well suit them. Um, help them to accumulate some relevant experiences along the way, help them to build important skills so that when they do graduate, we can help them to transition more smoothly to, uh, to college or career. Um, that's the big picture idea. And there's, there's a big uh, policy backdrop to all of this, uh, which I won't get into too much today, but if anybody's interested, there's another article that uh, Don and uh, Deborah Bragg and I recently published in Educational Administration Quarterly, which gets much more in depth about the uh, policy backdrop to these changes towards focusing on college and career readiness in the United States. Mm. Um, but for the purposes today, I would just say uh, Don and I definitely welcome that shift toward um, focusing on college and career readiness, but, but we recognize it, it brings with it some new challenges, um, complexities for those, of, those who are working in schools and also those who are trying to set policies. And so in this particular article, though, we, we focus particularly on the roles of principals. And in, in particular, we, we explored how two urban principals in high schools that featured comprehensive college and career readiness programming, how they were utilizing distributed leadership to try to, to, try to make that happen, to try to facilitate the implementation. Hmm. Um, so first, maybe just a little bit in, in terms of why we took the urban focus, um, here in the U.S., at least um, within our large within our larger cities, this is where we've tended to uh, have difficulties in terms of achieving strong outcomes or uh, kind of showing strong outcomes for students. Whether we look at um, test scores or whether we look at college enrollment, graduation rates, etc. So there's been a lot of attention on how we can kind of improve those schooling environments. Um, but then also for this particular study, though, something Don and I have recognized and others have as well is there's a lot of untapped resources, untapped opportunities related to this particular type of shift. Uh, so for example, in many cities, we see a huge industrial base uh, with uh, many or all employment sectors represented, and uh, the possibility that schools could partner with some of those businesses, uh, non-profits, to try to um, promote more realistic, real-life opportunities for students. And so we think uh, that's kind of why we took the urban focus. We think that these are sites where there have been challenges, but where there, there's also a great deal of untapped uh, resources and opportunities. Hmm. And uh, the reason we chose distributed leadership theory to kind of frame and organize the study and to organize our analysis as well is we anticipated, because we, we've kind of seen this stuff firsthand for years now, that these are really complex reforms. Uh, they require many different hands on deck, so to speak. Um, they require some restructuring to the way school is, schooling is organized. Um, 
And we anticipated, for example, that a high school principal might not know the ins and outs of every you know, career path that they want to offer for their students. Um, so in that type of context, we, we figured that they would, they would need to skillfully work with and empower those who did have those, you know, that, that knowledge. So we felt that on the front end, at least, we felt that distributed leadership theory would be a helpful um, framework that would allow us to really get a sense of uh, principles, practices, structures, and systems—kind of the way that the way that they're—and looking specifically on the principal's hand in these different aspects. So, so with so we ended up choosing uh, two principals at two different schools uh, in the Midwestern United States, and these were these were strategically chosen. They were actually uh, these principals and their schools were recognized by state officials. Uh, as featuring innovative programming and ambitious, you know, changes in, in the, these areas that we were interested in. So the first thing we did, though, is we we confirmed that this was an, indeed uh, that these were indeed you know good cases to choose, um, exemplary cases. And then from there, then we we did seek to seek to look at how uh, these principles were distributing leadership in in their sites. And what we what we ended up doing methodologically is we, we chose uh, case study methods. Uh, particularly, we conducted uh, multiple interviews with the principals as well as uh, team leaders in the schools. And we also spent time in the schools where we were, we were more informally observing the principals and the teacher leaders and observing meetings and um, trying to gain a sense of uh, the culture and the climate in the, um, in the respective schools as well. Um, in both schools, uh, as it so happened, they were implementing a particular reform, which is called uh, career academies. Mm. And uh, these are actually increasingly common in the U.S. Uh, by, by a 2009 estimate, I think uh, it was estimated that approximately one million high school students were actually enrolled in high schools that were organized as career academies. And they have three main features. Uh, the first is that students take career-focused courses for at least two years, and it, they're taught by teachers who are spanning across disciplines. Um, and then the second, the second feature would be a college preparatory curriculum that's organized around a career focus with, with an explicit goal to help students connect their academic learning to more real-world uh, learning. And, 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 then, these, and these high schools, will they be kind of uh, oriented towards a specific... Um, Uh, career or is it kind of broadly focused? Yeah, 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 great, great question. So in this case, uh, one of the high schools, and uh, it could be both, uh, one of the high schools would actually had a STEM focus, uh, so uh, kind of a science, technology, engineering, math focus, and they had multiple academies that students could select into. And a couple of examples of those academies would be um, information technology, um, and the other, another example would be engineering and manufacturing. Mm. Now the other the other high school um, had more of a broader focus, uh, but it also had uh, five different academies that students could select into based on you know their sense of their their top interests. And uh, some examples there were health sciences uh, or human and public services. Um, and the the third feature I wanted to share uh, because it's really important for it ends up being really important for this study of career academies is they tend to feature partnerships with local entities, uh, businesses, nonprofits, higher education, um, uh, colleges, schools, etc., to help provide opportunities for students. There, uh, for example, like internships, real world. Um, uh, um, um, let's see, like 
practice interviews, things like that. So, um, so that's pretty important, the uh, partnership aspect. Mm. And um, so now getting into our findings a little bit, the, we, we did find that these principles did adopt divergent approaches. Um, they did things differently. But with, even within that, though, we noticed six common themes of what kind of had to happen to, to, to get their uh, uh, structures set up in the way that they, they were effective and successful. And I'll just I'll share the six right now, and then maybe I'll dig into a couple of them more deeply. And then depending on time, we can we can uh, go into more detail on some of the others as well. But uh, the six themes that we identified are uh, first that the principles facilitated processes to form a shared vision, and then secondly that they worked very hard to develop relational trust amongst their staff and with their partners. Third was a very clear focus on learning. Fourth was uh, a variety of successful partnerships. Uh, fifth was that they actually restructured and they created conducive structures uh, to support these academies. And then sixth was uh, there was a clear effort to develop leadership skills and capacity, and there were many opportunities offered for individuals aside from the principal to serve in leadership roles. Hmm. Um, and then uh, more more generally, the principals describe both describe utilizing distributed leadership approaches very readily, um, including practices, structures, and tools to support their reforms. And uh, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the first two, um, and then we'll see how we're doing in terms of time. But uh, the uh, the first the first major theme was we definitely did find that each each principle facilitated processes to to try to enable. Um, a shared vision to be formed. Uh, both took a very strong initial stand, interestingly, uh, demonstrating to their faculties why they really cared about the reform and why they really thought that this was necessary for their students, which seemed important to us, uh, especially because the the reforms were quite ambitious. It required the high schools to look very differently and function very differently than they had before uh, they initiated them. Um, and so they had to kind of take that initial stand to really get get uh, teachers and, and uh, educators to get to get behind it. But then subsequently, we, uh, they were able to report and we were able to see that the visions grew and became shared over time as more, more educators and partners were really able to engage with it and really able to uh, contribute to it. So it started with kind of an initial stand by both though. And then secondly, we saw that each worked really hard to try to foster high levels of relational trust between themselves and their faculty members. Um, in particular, they, they really tried to create innovative cultures where teachers were able to try to take risks. They were able to try new things in the classroom, really try to um, improve their curriculum in a way that uh, it was more relevant to students and more relevant in terms of what uh, what's valued in the workplace in a particular career path. Um, one, for example, one uh, a principal reported that their, his staff knew that uh, he would support them 100% if they failed. And a staff member in the other school noted that the principal really believed that they could do anything. Um, so it really tried to create this culture where it was okay to try new things. You would be supportive. And it was kind of a big part of the uh, reform in general that they, they needed the teachers to take chances and try to do things differently. So they tried to create a culture around that that would allow that to happen. Um, now, uh, thinking a little bit more holistically about our study, uh, we think 
Our study uniquely showed how principals use their agency and authority to promote ambitious college and career readiness reforms. And we also thought that the distributed leadership frame did turn out to be a pretty good fit in terms of understanding what goes on in these schools uh, with the principals generally employing practices that align to distributed leadership theory. However, um, with a couple of exceptions, we did notice that principals, as, as I noted before, principals described efforts to support their own vision versus kind of co-constructing one, although the co-construction happened subsequently and over time. And then secondly, we saw, um, and this relates to some future research uh, where we, we've been going more recently, we saw a huge engagement of external partners um, and business leaders. Um, actually, for example, one of the principals described having 33 partners just in the manufacturing pathway area alone. Um, so huge engagement of business partners um, to the to the point where we actually thought that leadership was being distributed sub substantially beyond the school. Mm. Uh, uh, business, business community members, et cetera, were actually functioning as leaders in many different regards, um, which actually goes beyond the way that distributed leadership tends to be defined um, and conceptualized. It's usually thinking within a particular school or organization, and we saw it spreading out further than that. So that's kind of an extension that we saw that got us thinking and has turned our attention towards different uh, topics as we've been going forward. Um, this might be a good place to pause for now. Yeah. Um, I, I have two big questions, uh, Joel. Yes. Yeah. Firstly, you you uh, you have just talked about that these principals they had several business partners, which they shared their leadership with, and I can imagine that also inside the school, the principal had to work with many different kind of professionals. For example, like career advisor. Yeah, maybe the school psychologist and so on. Yes. Does, yes. does uh, this kind of leadership, with, which extends beyond just leading a group of teachers, does it require any specific leadership skills? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And that was kind of our purpose. That was our big picture purpose going in is we did have a hunch that this, this type of this shift that's underway and particularly that's affecting high schools is potentially requiring um, a new form of leadership in many different regards. It's requiring principals, for example, to open up their doors more widely than they have in the past and create more open systems maybe than they have in the past. Um, it's also requiring them to find ways to break down barriers between academic coursework and more of the career and technical coursework, where in, in the U.S. at least there have been some tensions and um, distinctions between those two types of programming, and they're trying to break down those silos. Um, so there, yeah, we do think there's some substantial uniqueness here, and that was that's what we thought going in, and I think uh, as a result of the studies that we've been conducting over the years, we, we think that even to a greater level than we did before, um, and we think that the amount of uh, distribution of leadership may be uh, uniquely high, and again, extending even outward uh, beyond the organization. Uh, if you really want to um, fully embrace these college and career readiness reforms, uh, it actually requires uh, many different contributions, and then you kind of, uh, in, in a way, as a, as a principal, um, you need to be able to handle all those different things and create a culture and a shared vision that allows that to, allows that to occur. Um, so it, we don't think it's completely unique, though. We think that you know it, it builds upon uh, you know uh, the general leadership literature as we understand it. But we do think that um, in certain regards, it is uh, unique as well, requiring specific study. Mm. 
And then you talked about that you had conducted for this study several uh, interviews with the principals. And then uh, you, correct. And you, then you also had interviewed some team leaders and some teachers and some other people as well. Uh, yes, that's correct. Did, did you find any differences between what the principals said that they emphasized in their leadership, but then compared to what the others said that they actually conceived that the principal actually did kind of uh, practice as his leadership? Yes. Did, did you um, find any yeah, mismatches that kind of stood out? Yeah. So um, yeah. So mismatches are always really interesting uh, from a, from a researcher side, um, and then trying to dig in and understand those. I think in both of these cases, we actually were looking at exemplary sites where I think that there was uh, a substantial amount of um, overlap in terms of people. People were um, pursuing the same reforms. They they were uh, embracing them, and so there wasn't as much discrepancy as you might find in in more of a. Um, uh, challenging situation maybe um, but uh, at times yeah I can't think of specific examples but at times maybe the principal re would report um, you know a certain intention and in, in, the, in a, in a particular team leader might say you know this is easier said than done these are the things I'm dealing with and uh, you know um, uh, this structure is not working quite as well as intended for very, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, there were sometimes, I guess, uh, minor discrepancies where uh, one person's experience would be different than maybe the principal was hoping. Uh, mm. But uh, that was relatively minimal, I'd say, probably because we were dealing with um, exemplary sites. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, I, I think, Joel, we can maybe move on. You, so you have described uh, kind of two findings. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can move on to talk a little bit about, you also said that one finding was that they had a focus on, on learning. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so, so we definitely re discovered that both principals maintained a strong focus on learning. So they were um, working, working well as learning leaders, and in particular, um, it was a particular vision of learning I would call a tailored or personalized learning uh, where both in both cases the vision was uh, that learning and curriculum curricular approaches should be relevant they should be diverse and they should be sensitive to student interests um, so students should be able to um, explore a particular career path explore particular interests and and select into the one that was right for them for example um, so I think it's a particular type of vision of learning, and both principals also were very attentive um, and proactive about trying to establish equitable practices, which we found very important. So, for example, uh, you know, you find gender-based and also ethnic-race-based disparities in terms of who's, and, and this, these are historically based in the U.S. in terms of who's entering various different types of professions. And so, for example. Uh, females have tended not to enter some of the STEM fields um, as much in the past. And at one of the schools, we found that it was actually a stated goal and a written goal that they wanted to encourage girls to explore careers in, in engineering and manufacturing. Um, so within this uh, focus on learning, we saw also a focus on equity, which we think is very important and relates to some of the directions that we're going in um, now with our research um, in terms of exploring the um, these interventions and their effects on equity and equality. Um, in the other school, we also found uh, the principal was especially attuned to supporting students with special needs. 
which uh, as a former school psychologist, I, I, I was very interested in and found that to be very important, was trying to, within these career paths, try to work well with students who might have disabilities or who might be work, you know, dealing with disabilities and how they can um, select careers and, and do well within these pathways as well. Mm. And, and, and are there kind of some specific leadership challenges connected to uh, creating this environment for, for uh, pupils with the special needs? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I'd have to, um, I'd probably, I'd probably have to defer to the principals and those who are working in these environments every day um, to, to give you a really good answer to that. But an abstract answer would be, um, yeah, potentially, you know, just thinking about an internship, for example, um, or a job fair or career fair, um, potentially the students might need uh, more different types of supports um, or even transportation might be different. Um, so it does require, I would say, special effort and uh, um, a commit, special commitment to, to try to uh, make sure that those situations are conducive to students with special needs as well and that would be kind of on an individual basis just depending on what their needs might be but um, I um, I would probably have to defer to them to provide more details about exactly how that how that plays out mm. yeah a very interesting study Joel and I myself would definitely like to to read this article and I think many of my listeners would like to read the article as well uh, yeah so uh, time is running out almost so so let me go on to ask you yeah which advice you would give to the principles that you are addressing in this research okay perfect yeah so uh, first off I think just generally I think case studies like these in general um, are beneficial because they kind of provide a strong flavor and some depth in terms of how and why these reforms are being pursued and how they can be organized in, in successful ways. Um, so I think they could be useful just for, for educational leaders who are considering similar reforms or are kind of in the early stages of implementing. Um, and more specifically, though, um, some of the things that I think come out of this research uh, fairly loud and clear is um, uh, first off, we think it, it is important for the principal to foster distributed leadership to try to effectively develop reforms like these. Um, and the strong and strong and collective vision is uh, very important uh, it, to, to get things started. And the principal certainly, it, at least in both of these cases, played a really critical role in the formation and, and acceptance of, of, a, of a vision. Um, we also would just you know, we, we do think that this focus on equity throughout is very, very important, um, especially here in the United States and maybe elsewhere as well, um, just ensuring that everyone has a um, equitable access to these to high quality learning experiences within the different academies that they can choose um, and, and trying to make sure that um, there aren't uh, undesirable patterns that are happening in terms of student selections and enrollments. And uh, second, uh, I think restructuring um, of the school needs to be thoughtful and intentional. And, and, and uh, so trying to set up systems and trying to set up meeting opportunities where cross-disciplinary teams can come together and brainstorm how they're going to adjust their curriculum um, and trying to find ways to eliminate barriers between the academic and the career technical programming uh, is very, very important. And a lot of that does require meeting times um, and opportunities so that so you're going to have to do some uh, restructuring of the school and think about how uh, the schedule is going to be set up the timetable um, and then thirdly I think uh, 
the expertise of individuals outside the organization is really essential with these reforms. So as a principal, you'd really want to be thinking about um, how, to, how to find ways to identify win-win opportunities with these partners, how to find ways to identify uh, or to find uh, yeah, shared, um, shared goals that you can work together and really provide real-life opportunities for students. Um, and uh, I'd say uh, more generally, and this is true in leadership as a whole, trying to create a really safe and supportive culture where um, innovative ideas are welcomed by, by teachers and, and educators in the, in the school um, is, is very important with this reform and probably with many others as well. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and then uh, kind of moving a little bit up, going broader, uh, if, if we take kind of a future research, which, which areas in leadership do you think need more research and, and which projects would you like to embark on in the future? Yeah, so, so I definitely see this particular issue of, of uh, leadership and policy around career and college readiness reforms to be a, to be a big one. Um, and uh, because, as we kind of talked about, I think there's a unique skill set that's required, uniquely different strategies and approaches. And, and at least in the U.S., this focus is not going away. Um, I think that this is kind of where we are right now, um, that, uh, that high schools are going to be leaned on to do things differently um, and find ways for high schools to um, coordinate better with uh, with higher education institutions, where previously these were kind of separate sectors. I think more and more we're seeing policies where um, we're merging those two sectors or trying to find ways to smooth transitions at the very least and, and coordinate programming better. Um, so so this is a big area um, that I'd like to continue to work to work within and will continue to work within with, with, with projects going forward. I also... Um, I'm also turning my attention more to those external partners, and I'm interested in researching, and I think this is very important for the field as well, researching more the cross-sector collaborative aspect of college and career readiness reforms. Um, I think this is badly needed in education. I, um, I think most of the research that's been occurring in this area has actually been occurring outside of education. So there's some good things happening in public administration literature, for example. But uh, more and more, we're seeing cross-sector partnerships here in the U.S., and I think we need to look closely at um, researching that in, in, in education. And then lastly, this is somewhat unrelated, uh, but it's, uh, I'd say, my other major interest area right now. And I think that it, I feel strongly that more research is needed to, to better understand and then uh, find viable ways to enhance educators' research engagement and their understanding of research um, and their ability to, um, to practice in a in accordance with, with evidence, uh, evidence-informed practice. So here I'm thinking of, uh, of work like with um, Chris Brown, who I know you had an opportunity to interview recently, um, and uh, you know, just kind of this focus on uh, use of research and engagement with research as a way to um, to 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 um, to improve practice. Hmm. Okay, and then at the very end, Joel, uh, if my, if some of my listeners want to find more information about you and your publications, is there a specific place on the internet where they can go to? Uh, yes, uh, if you Google my name, uh, Joel Moline, you, you should you should find that I place my research um, onto my page as part of my university has a repository. Uh, so we have a scholarly commons page where uh, I, 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 I place uh, all my research as 
as is permissible onto that site. So you would be able to um, to to track down my work, and then I also have a web page through through my university that describes my research interests. And then um, any listeners could also please feel free to reach out to me at any time uh, with an email, or um, that would probably be the best way to get in touch. Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.